Welcome to Melly, a conversation on Samaritan history by Jonathan Van Arneman, Kyla Brown, Ralph Cantal, and Steffi Gomes. Come hear the Melly and share the Melly. All right, we are live. Um, hello, everyone, <laughs> and welcome to Melly's fifth episode. Uh, it has already been five episodes which is crazy. We thank you all for the incredible support we've received so far. Uh, it's been absolutely heartwarming and we're so glad that you like our content. Um, this episode is special because it's five, uh, something you know special about prime numbers. Um, don't worry about two or three. Um, <laughs> and so uh, we will be talking about the importance of history and specifically the history we are taught. Um, so my name is Jonathan Van Arneman, and I am one of the Melee co-hosts. Hi, I'm Steffi. Welcome, everyone. I'm Ralph Cantal. Good morning, everyone. I'm Carla. All right. So we are the four Melee co-hosts back with you for a fifth episode. Um, and as I said, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the importance of history. Um, so I kind of wanted to start off our discussion with a quote. Um, and this quote is distinguishing between memory and history. So that's a, distinct, uh, a distinction that we haven't necessarily made on the show, the distinction between memory and history. And so we're going to get into a little bit of a discussion as to what is the difference. Um, so the quote says, history is what trained historians do, a reasoned reconstruction of the past rooted in research. It tends to be critical and skeptical of human motive and action, and therefore more secular than what people commonly call memory. History can be read by or belong to everyone. It is more relative, contingent on place, chronology, and scale. If history is shared and secular, memory is often treated as a sacred set of absolute meanings and stories possessed as the heritage or identity of a community. Memory is often owned. History is interpreted. Memory is passed down through the generations. History is revised. Memory often coalesces in objects, sites, and monuments. History seeks to understand contexts in all their complexity. History asserts the authority of academic training and canons of evidence. Memory carries the often more immediate authority of community membership and experience. All right, so I think that was a beautiful piece on the difference between uh, history and memory. Um, but at the same time, I think it's BS to be, to be completely transparent. Um, I think that while I have all the respect in the world for historians, um, and you know, you, they are very good at their job, um, to say that history is objective and memory is subjective, I think is an incredible oversight of the bias of human beings. And I think for us to say that, um, you know, one is regarded as um, not having bias and one is regarded as having bias. Um, I don't know, I just, I just feel like it sounds good in theory, but when put into practice, like we really see that that's not the case. And by regarding history as as being so void of human error um we're really doing a disservice to ourselves um and so i just you know let me get a little um feedback from my co-hosts on what they think about the difference between uh history and memory 
Well, I like what you said about um, the fact uh, that like academics uh, think that they don't have any bias, basically. And um, it makes me think of, uh, of a theory that I heard of uh, in gender studies, in feminist uh, studies ex uh, especially, which is uh, situated knowledge. So it's the idea that uh, you always have to take into account where you stand from. And so it's they essentially created this uh, notion of situated knowledge to say that, well, men believe that they were uh, not situated, they were like, objective, uh, while their uh, view of the world, well, science was essentially uh, not created, but written by, by uh, men. And so, like, for instance, if they take um, the human body and they, for them, the, the norm is the male body, then there's a lot of, of things that you won't take into account. And so it's the same when you write history. And if you write history using the tools that uh, are, are the norm in your culture, then that means that when you will look at the history of other places, then you won't be able to analyze it because they won't have the same, they won't necessarily have the same tools as you. So if you create the rules uh, to a game, then of course you're going to win. But uh, like, <laughs> other players might not, uh, if you don't like leave other players also like uh, give some rules, then you're creating a disadvantage and, and you're not acknowledging that you're the one who created, who created the rules if you don't take into account the fact that your knowledge is situated. Yeah, definitely, 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 definitely. Um, I think that, you know, again, in positing history as something that is completely objective, we deny the fact that the people writing the history are making very intentional choices, choices about what to include and what to exclude. Um, and those choices are incredibly important because that will inform the narrative moving forward. And the person who writes a nation's past is going to control their present. And if we don't recognize that, right, if we don't see, see that happening, then it's to our detriment because we're not being cognizant of the tools. You know, as, as Steffi just said, like the person who writes the rules wins the game. Like, you know, who's writing the rules? <laughs> you know, historians are writing the rules, but you know, who are these historians? And I mean, again, everyone has bias. Um, and I would also add to that, Jonathan, who, who, also, who writes the present also dictates the history as well. Because, uh, and that is where, you know, um, media and journalism plays a critical role, uh, especially in a country like St. Martin, because if, if, if it's not your own people, if, you, if it's not you basically, you know, writing the, the daily stories of the events, the people and so forth that shape um, your country, then, uh, you know, you, you, you're left um, basically vulnerable to the depiction uh, created by someone else. Yes, yes, definitely. And I think that gets into the discussion of nation building, right? It's like a nation is not built by accident. There are very intentional choices that go into the creation of a nation. What are the truths that are being carried forward as a nation? Um, I mean, there are so many examples in, in history of um, lies that were told, you know, um, and spewed and propaganda that was then, you know, propagated. Um, 
and later on that actually becomes the truth you know um i i think very clearly of um you know uh the dictatorship that happened in the dominican republic uh, in the early 1900s under trujillo um and all of the anti-haitian um rhetoric that he that he spewed the the genocide against haitian people that happened um and and look at what's happening today right look at what's happening today like they rendered thousands of Haitian citizens stateless, right? They went back generations and they said, you know, up to back to four generations of Haitian citizens can now not claim, no, I said that wrong. Dominican people <laughs> who have been in the Dominican Republic for generations and generations and no, no other country, if four generations back, their forefathers cannot prove through some abstract form that they are Dominican also, then they have become stateless. And I mean, it, it's crazy. Like, like and, and that type of nation building, again, like, it is intentional. And so to think that, um, you know, a nation is built by accident uh, is, is foolish. And if you think a nation is built by accident, then that nation is not being built by you. <laughs> you know, so who is building our nation? Um, and so I kind of wanted to transition into Carla, who, who's going to talk about um, history and colonialism. Yes. Hi, everyone. So, I mean, I'm going to build also on what you all were uh, just saying about memory, because I think it's completely tied to colonialism and imperialism and uh, the way or who history says is a credible source. And I kind of want to say this in a way to understand like uh, also why academia and historians say that their uh, history is not biased. You know, a lot of the discussion also with memory has to deal with time. Um, and this idea that the sources that historians use are uh, a lot of times um, the journal entries of people uh, that came to the Caribbean and they wrote at the end of the day uh, this and this happened today, blah, blah, blah. They're recording things for the crown. They're recording things, possibly sending letters to family members. Um, but it's this idea that the events that they're uh, writing about in the sources have also happened like in recent time. Whereas memory, uh, people say, you know, it's along um, people reflecting gener generally like 10 years back, whatever it is, but that because of the human mind, of course, people also distort memory. You see things maybe more favorably or worse because of the current circumstances you find yourself in. Um, but it's the fact that the, and I don't want to say all historians, because of course, like the field is making like huge uh, uh, leaps in also acknowledging its own subjectivity. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, subjectivity. Um, uh, but it's in recognizing that the journal entries of those guys years ago were also basically clouded in social context of them trying to seem like very great men for mm -hmm. their crowns. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's with this, I want to connect the idea in colonialism and history to three things. So that's the myth of the unbiased historian, because yes, the history we're taught is biased and we just have to accept that and the myth of the great man and the myth of the great nation, because I see them within our region's history as all connected. Um, and so every historian has to make a biased option about who they find as a credible source. And the historian is going to read through and know who their character is, 
that's providing the resources, know like what function they played, what they did in life, um, in weighing, you know, what information they take from that person's journal entries uh, or so be it. And that's where we already see this heavy leaning towards literacy, right? Because basically we're looking for written sources and we're not looking for possibly stories that were handed down from generations we're only looking for written sources credible sources are literate people that's already history's huge main bias because who in those years and ages could write it was mm -hmm. men <laughs> so already you know taking all other social contexts aside be it uh, um, race class whatever the majority of people that were literate at that time were men you already then remove the her story from history and then you get into all these other uh, social contexts and you realize that then these credible sources come from these white men from europe writing about you know these great lands that they come across either uh, to conquer and claim for their own which they have no right to do or it's coming from uh, a lot of times like our sources come from pastors and uh, people that came to spread religion and Generally, like the pastor's um, uh, journal entries tend to be like a bit more um, uh, revealing in a sense that, once again, when you're relying on the literate or the journal entries of men who are trying to, uh, I think I mentioned it also in the first episode, they're writing these journal entries uh, and letters to the crown with a specific aim. You know, they do want to be seen as great men. They do want the crown to give them more support, more resources, wherever they are. And so they have to tell great tales about what they're doing on behalf of the nation. And all these ideas also help to reinforce how the nation sees itself back in Europe. And when we see uh, national history as basically um, the justifying of the national story and to make people feel like they're part of this homogenous group of people that's doing this great thing everywhere and at all times you realize that the history that we receive in schools has a very specific purpose because of course also the purpose of education is um, to teach the populace how to work within that labor force you're not going to have people very um, uh, motivated to work within a labor force when you're learning in school that your country did a lot of horrible things to people all around the world, you know? Um, so all of this, I think, comes together um, to then kind of paint the history that we've received in our region, right? It's just like, I remember growing up and thinking, when I read world history, it was like the Caribbean's history started and ended with slavery because once the chapter on slavery ended, you never heard about the Caribbean again, right? We go back to all the other countries in the world and what they've then done with the spoils that they've made off of our regions. Um, and so in understanding that you start to, yeah, I think that's how all of us start to realize, you know, there's more to the story. And now we have things like social history and all these kind of other methodologies that are exposing more of the stories of the everyday people that show us the biases of these great white men that led to the history of our region. I feel like I'm still like processing everything that was just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like taking it all in, like, whoa. Um, but that, I mean, you raised so many, so many amazing points that so many of us just, you know, don't think about often, like, 
sources, you know, credible sources and, and um, you know, um, who can write, <laughs> who can write, who's taught to write, um, like, and, and you know, um, and there's so many instances of that happening right here on St. Martin. I mean, like, if you read the account of emancipation and what they say happened on emancipation day on the Dutch side, it's talking about how, you know, the governor had everything under control and then the enslaved people came and had a party in front of the, the courthouse and were thanking the governor for being so great. And I'm reading it and I'm like, what in the, <laughs> like, like what, <laughs> you know, like, cause you read that account and then you read the fact that, um, you know, the people on the Dutch side who were enslaved had to like fight for their freedom so that they could have the same status as people on the French side, right? And so the Dutch side had a de facto emancipation and this account by the governor is definitely not taken into consideration that there was a de facto emancipation, you know? So it was, it was so weird. Um, and so if, if you're not thinking about these things and you just read that one account, then it's just like, okay, like something's off. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if uh, someone else wanted to jump in about uh, relating to colonialism um, in history. Stephanie, you want to say something? Go ahead, if anything. I, I could wait, uh, but if you leave me the floor, yes, I have something to say. Uh, just about uh, uh, literacy and the importance of written uh, material. Uh, on the on the on in my notes i wrote a few quotes right and just, i just wanted to insert one of them which is from amadou Ampateba, who is an historian uh i didn't write uh, from ivory coast and uh he says this famous quote that is uh in africa when an old man dies it, it, it's a library that that dies you know so there's all this thought about the importance of oral history in some uh, parts of the world and the fact, and going back to what I said initially about make, being able to make the rules of what is valued and as sources of history. And um, there's really this thing about uh, being able to write and being able to, to um, have a voice, which is kind of a, a, kind of a paradox, right? To have a voice because you can write, but it's definitely how, how they put it. Because if you cannot, uh, uh, it, it reminds me, like in school, uh, I realized when I was uh, doing my study that I learned uh, history um, like something uh, linear, meaning that we started uh, with prehistory and then we went to so prehistory. I, I don't even remember where it is situated, but I think they mentioned um, caves in Europe, and then you have antiquity. Uh, well, you have a, a sedentarism that goes into like the Crescent region, Mesopotamia. Uh, and then you have antiquity with the Greeks and the Romans. And then they move forward to history of France. But the way that you taught this history, it sounds like it's the same people who uh, like go from Mesopotamia and then go to, to Greece and, and Rome and then they go to, to, you know, it feels like it's their uh, heritage, it's their direct heritage. And it's not true, <laughs> you know? And so I also wanted to say that uh, history is also a way to create, well, to massively uh, reinforce the idea of identity and um, create a, a community of people, meaning that we share something and those who don't share this common uh, history, this common background are not us. 
And so you have um, uh, the fact that um, minorities are kept outside, well, the contribution of uh, minorities to our common history uh, are not highlighted because we want to keep them as outsiders. So then, um, for instance, uh, if in Europe history, you keep away the role of, of Jewish people uh, in the economical uh, advancement of, of, or in the cultural advancement uh, of, uh, or in the philosophical advancement of the people, then it's easier to say that there are others and they are uh, stealing and whatever, whatever, you know? And it's the same thing for uh, basically all minorities. So people who come from Africa or from um, Northern Africa, uh, well, it's the same thing or, and for the Caribbean, you're going to say, okay, we are there, we have this common history, they don't contribute to it, they, uh, feed, they, 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 they feed on it, like they're, they're, they're fed on our common uh, um, basis, and they don't have anything to offer us. We, we have things to give them, and they don't have anything to offer us. And I also wanted to uh, illustrate this idea with a quote that was said by then President of French Republic, uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, when he was uh, in Dakar, Senegal, at the university that is called the Cheikh Antadiop University, Cheikh Antadiop being a man who highlighted the importance of uh, the African continent for civilization. And he said, I quote, uh, the tragedy of the African man is that he hasn't entered history enough. So you have a French president that goes in an Afri in, in a African uh, Senegalese uh, university to insult, you know, African people. Um, like there wasn't universities like Timbuktu, where people from all over the world, including Europe, came to learn things. And so um, it's really this mentality that we have things to give and we don't have to learn anything from, from others. Oh, I was about to say, Steffi really didn't make the mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I'll chime in on the next topic <laughs> because um, uh, she did mention a few things I was going to mention, but all, but the, I guess the one thing I'm um, in addition that I'll add is just in terms of colonialism. Colonialism also works with quote unquote local oppressors. So you know, in every colonial territory, um, one of the ways in which they enforce um, you know their uh, superiors so-called superiority over the colonized people is by propping up one or two, you know, of those people into the image of the colonizer to make it seem like this is the aspirant thing, you know, like this is um, your, this should be your desire to become like one of us. And uh, they also play a role in molding and shaping, you know, what we're taught and what is also included in our history, because there's, there's this, uh, I guess, in a sense, like a disgust for wanting to to carry or um, pass on the the histories of that, like I would say, local or native population, because again, um, even in terms of um, uh, voting, it would only be the literate and landowners who would be able to vote, and so uh, that that was just really my um, addition. And I think there's also one thing that I want to that what Steffi said reminded me of is I remember uh, the work of. Um, Ariella Azule, um, Unlearning Imperialism, I believe, or Potential Histories, Unlearning Imperialism, a really great book that talks about like photography and, and history and political theory. Um, and, and that's this idea that 
what Seki just said, you know, like saying, okay, yeah, the African continent is devoid of history. Yet if we go to historical museums all over Europe, whose artifacts fill those shelves? You know what I mean? And, you know, it's the same people that they're saying have no history and have no story and it's not written. All of their objects are being protected in your uh, national institution that somehow give credibility to your, in Europe, national history, but no credibility to the history of these peoples where they are. And, and uh, one, one more thing that I just remembered, even um, where, um, uh, for the word, basically when you, oh yeah, when you um, censor um, freedom of speech and even um, literature, because that's another thing. And that's another reason why um, a lot of our history in a sense had to be oral as well, because, you know, through censorship, um, certain publications, you know, could not be distributed, whether it was newspapers, um, pamphlets and books, you know, they had to be um, uh, shared under, you know, under the covers, um, um, you know, so that the watchful colonial eye um, ensured that, you know, the, the, the people weren't um, educated and empowered through literature. This is indeed, you know, besides the fact that um, education was a sort of restriction as well for us to progress as a people, um, there were those of us who still achieve that. And, 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 there, and even here in St. Martin, um, you know, from my um, conversations with a lot of seniors, there have been um, uh, people in St. Martin, St. Martin, old St. Martin women and men who maybe, maybe have not been uh, quote unquote uh, distinguished people in our society in terms of whether they were business people, whatever, but they had sense, they could read. Um, people used to go to them to translate documents, to write letters for them to, to send to their families, you know? So all of that also encompasses um, um, what, is, what is passed on and what history um, we're taught. So for colonialism and history, I think what we, we give to you all as listeners is that the history we're taught is biased because it's heavily tied to power. Essentially, um, it's tied to power. And I also think that that power is instrumental in erasure as well, um, and intentional erasure at that. And so I guess my contribution to this colonialism in history uh, discussion is um, a personal experience. Uh, my dad is from Bonaire. And so um, I was recently, not recently, maybe two years ago, I was visiting Bonaire. Um, and I went to the, um, the salt flats. So they have these uh, huge salt flats that are actually now owned by Cargill, but that's, that's another story. I'm not gonna talk about privatization of, of public <laughs> resources. That's not this, this topic, right? Um, but at the salt flats, there are these huts and these huts, um, it's where, um, so the salt flats are away from residential areas. And so the enslaved folks used to come and work on the salt flats and so that they didn't have to walk all the way back home and then come back the next day because, not because they care about the people, but because they waste time, you know? Um, so that they wouldn't have to do that. Um, they built these little huts for them to stay in while they were working on the salt flats. Uh, and there are these national accounts um, of, you know, what the scene looks like. And if you read the accounts, like these are like actually printed things that are like, you know, tourists who come, like they read the accounts of what happened. It's talking about like 
the people being happy and singing and the sky being like this beautiful pink color and it's this like beautiful kumbaya moment of people just like you know and i was like this is this is real this is like the actual account like no one's talking about the people who went blind by the time they were in their 30s because of the exposure to salt in the sun right no one's talking about that no one's talking about the burns that come with working in salt, right? People losing limbs, people losing fingers. No one's talking about how you try to like hide your skin so that you wouldn't get blisters. Um, no one's talking about that. And like, if you read the account and there's like a picture with like these little like black stick men and like flamingos and <laughs> I was just like, what is happening? It's crazy the way they just like rewrote it as if everyone is like, I mean, St. Martin has, has similar accounts, huh? St. Martin, what's the saying? Uh, the work was hard, but it was sweet, you know, something like that. Um, and it's just like, what, what, what's happening right now? Like, who's writing this history? Um, and again, it just goes to show, like, this is intentional. Because now, fast forward, when we're in talks about reparations, right? the official accounts are saying that it was a beautiful kumbaya moment, right? So it's like, why you need reparations for that? It wasn't that bad, right? So it's all tied in together. It's all tied in together. It's all intentional. Um, and then from there, I kind of wanted to transition into, you know, the discussion of um, history in schools. So what type of history are we taught in schools uh, on the island? We were all schooled on the island. Um, and so, you know, like, what was our exposure to history on the island? Um, again, I want to I wanna kind of, like, lead this off with a personal experience. I remember in the third grade, uh, I went to the Mac School, Campus One, the best campus. Blah, blah, blah. Um, in third grade, um, I was in the class of Miss Shiverton. Uh, so shout out to Miss Shiverton, wherever you are. Um, and... Um, Ms. Shiverton uh, was trying to explain to us about the Arawaks and the Caribs. Um, and so she told us that they, um, they had cassava bread. Um, and so she brought like cassava bread and we were like able to taste it. And then she like made us do like a competition where we all had to build like bows and arrows. And then uh, we had to see like whose arrow could shoot the furthest. And uh, there was like all these things related to the Arawaks and the Caribs in third grade. And I mean, decades later like this is still like burned into my memory you know um but then in terms of like actual saint martin history besides you know um pre-colonial um i don't know it's it's blank <laughs> it's it's blank i really can't recall ever learning about very very important things like you know emancipation i don't remember like and i, I don't remember because i don't think it was there you know like in high school, I had the opportunity to take uh, history for CXE, but I didn't take it. So it was an elective. And I mean, I think I would have gotten some Caribbean history if I had taken CXE uh, for history. But honestly, like there were like maybe three or four people out of the whole graduating year in that class. Um, and so, yeah, it's like if you leave your history as an elective and, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, so I don't know. History in schools, in my in my experience, was very little. It was very um, very uh, unattainable. I I would say um, I guess well, at least from my experience, what was the benefit was the teachers that I had, 
Um, I also had Ms. Shiverton <laughs> um, in, in the third grade and, and shout out to Max School for believing in, you know, um, hitting children with rulers and so forth. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, <laughs> Jonathan, you're killing <laughs> Yeah, I got a lot of licks in school. I guess that's part of the culture, perhaps. But anyhow, um, besides that, I can remember, at least um, in my school, I remember when the late Vance James Jr., um, when he was brought to our class to talk about his father and how his father started his business. Um, I have a faint memory of it, and and I guess the, the benefit was, like, I had teachers like Ms. Maku, who, you know, would talk about her family and then history and, and, and uh, but in, in but it was like little snippets but you never get the, the totality and the one thing that we did get was general knowledge where you know you had to learn like who was a commissioner of this and that um of tourism commissioner of whatever else education so forth but um i don't i just don't think that it was enough of a uh it was taught in a way that we should that we really understood what we were in so like even in high school, it's like, okay, we were part of the Nellas Antilles. Can you, you know, what is the, you know, what is St. Martin's relation to all these other five islands? And what is St. Martin's relationship to the Netherlands? What is St. Martin's relationship to the rest of the Caribbean? Um, and so for me, my enlightenment or enlightened moment came from high school with two teachers I always talk about, Mr. Cook um, from St. Martin Academy, best high school on St. Martin, and Miss Warner. <laughs> Miss uh, Warner was our history teacher. And Miss Warner was a real history teacher because she ensured that we knew about St. Martin, even though it was not in the curriculum. So I did um, history for CXC. And I must say, I, I, I love the fact that I did CXC history because one, um, I learned about the Haitian Revolution, which you know, as a someone of Haitian descent, that means a whole lot. But also about the union movements in the Caribbean, the independence movements in the Caribbean, um, and even about um, the, the U.S. invasions throughout the different Caribbean islands and so forth. So that was really empowering. But what was obviously lacking was the role of, you know, even what's this, the small islands. So not just St. Martin, but even small islands in Caribbean history. And then you have St. Martin, a smaller island in a in a, um, a non-English speaking union, basically. And so, you know, that was basically shunned. Like we basically had no information on that in any textbook. textbook. So um, it's one will bring people like Lasana Siku. Um, and then you have, of course, uh, for those who had Rhoda Arundel at the time, um, briefly she taught at Academy who taught English and different teachers, you know, um, Mr. Cook again, he had pictures in the entire classroom. He put up pictures of people like Elaine Vlon, Elaine Vlon, who was, um, I think, the first female uh, commissioner in St. Martin. That's another history fact. Uh, people, you know, Claude Watsi and so forth. Um, and, and so those were the sorts of beneficial. That was beneficial because it's like, okay, finally, I'm seeing something that represents this territory I reside in. But besides that, what I think what, so I think in all of that, what would help us moving forward is because we have a lot of teachers who are from different islands, um, they need to be schooled in some modern history. Because frankly, um, if I have a teacher from, let's say St. Kitts, 
she's going to talk about he or she will talk about the experience in St. Kitts. He or she will talk about the experience in Guyana. Yes, it's also fun. It's, it's nice to hear the history of other people, you know, their culture and so forth um, in, in a larger context. That's what, that's what makes Martin so interesting. But what about our roots? You know, let's start here first. Um, it's not to say that other places don't matter, but because this is the space we reside in, this is where we call home, um, you know, it should be common knowledge. It should be um, uh, more enforced and, and definitely uh, better instituted in, in the curriculum. And so that's, the, that's, that's my take on it. So I guess to wrap up education on the South side, um, I went to Learning Unlimited my entire life here on St. Martin. Um, and I can say that things have changed today. But when I was growing up, I remember that uh, in sixth grade, I maybe got a, a week of history on the salt pond and we had to make dioramas of the salt pond uh, from Ms. Zola, who also, like Ralph said, wasn't you know, a teacher from here, but took it upon herself to, to uh, use her role to bring us our own local history. And yeah, everything else that I picked up there through school, uh, was more about field trips. So for example, going and seeing Jay Havasser and then, you know, learning about pre-colonial history on St. Martin and, you know, doing these different field trips to different areas and Amelia Wilson and getting history in that way. It was, it was always, I think, like through field trips that I got this kind of knowledge through the school system. But the thing is, it wasn't structural. And of course, it's not conscious, but as a child, I think when you are constantly learning structurally about the world around you uh, and how important everyone else's history is, and you're getting your own history like so informally, it also shapes the way in which you see uh, your world, right? And I think for me, that was, I mean, it was huge. I mean, I, I also took history. I mean, we didn't have a choice to drop subjects uh, at LU, but uh, so I had history all the way until my final year. And I mean, I learned about how great of a nation America is and how great the Egyptians were and the Romans and everybody. And um, you're then taught that, uh, you know, your ancestors had no uh, skills, no knowledge. They were just dropped here magically, uh, not by force, just taken on a ship um, and friendly, brought over, did work, and that was it. Um, and so I think it's for school systems here to, because I also, uh, I did a lot of, or I did research with the SER about history and the way it's taught in schools. And a lot of things that I got, I, I got to interview history teachers across schools. And the stress was that, especially at the high school level, that if you were to implement St. Martin history, um, it's not a testing subject, right? So it's just something that people would learn for fun then. And they're like, teenagers today are already complaining about the workload and how much they have and blah, blah, blah. And adding St. Martin history to the workload would just be too much for students. But then you interview students and they're kind of like, well, I know nothing about St. Martin, but I know down to like leaders, provinces, whatever of the Netherlands. So when I go to the Netherlands, guess what? I know exactly what to do where, when I'm there. I know where I am. I know who built where I am. I know this and that. But then you come back home and you're like, eh, who? Van Rohoop? You know, and it, you see that and then you ask, you know, 
yeah, where are we teaching our students where they can live and where they can be full humans and take charge of the resources that they have? So yeah, for me, it's just not structural enough and we don't realize what that does to shape where a student sees themselves as fitting into society later on in life. So um, something that was uh, mentioned earlier, I think, was the grouping of islands. And so my coming to history of St. Martin uh, was uh, non-existent practically, but it was through uh, uh, the history of the Antilles. Uh, well, I should actually start by mentioning that, uh, so in the French school system, uh, you have a class which name is history and geography. And so let's say that 70, 60% of the hours of that class is history and then 40% is geography. And so you have a percentage of that class that is uh, focused on regional realities. So you don't have, so let's say, I, I, I don't know the numbers, but let's say 10 hours uh, in the year will be for uh, the Caribbean, if you're in the Caribbean, will be for the South of France, if you're in the South of France, et cetera. And so in, um, in secondary school, so in middle, middle high school and high school, well, from 11 to 15, uh, you have, uh, we had a booklet. So we had our normal history book, history and geography book. And then we had like a hundred page book uh, that was named the history of Antilles and Guyana because uh, in France, you have this grouping of uh, the overseas territories that is uh, uh, Guadeloupe, Martinique, and Guyana, and, and Guyane, Guyane Francaise. Uh, and I say it like that because um, I was uh, in school from, um, I don't know, uh, from, let's say from, I was in middle high school from 2003 to 2007, something like that. And St. Martin became a collectivity in 2007. So there was no existence of, of, of St. Martin when uh, I, I, as an indi individual uh, unit, uh, when I went to school. And so in this uh, booklet of uh, Histoire des Antilles Guyane, I, it was mentioned St. Martin twice. Once was to talk about uh, François Auguste Perignon, which who was an abolitionist who uh, managed uh, 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 studies on the on paid work uh, in the South Ponds of Grand Cas. And uh, so he was mentioned once, there was a picture of him. Uh, and then you had in the geography uh, section, you had one picture of Juliana. And the rest of it was just uh, Guadeloupe Martinique, a little bit um, of Guyana as well. But so I knew about uh, slavery and about uh, transatlantic slave and the slave trade, etc. But uh, in terms of St. Martin history, um, it was not on school that I could rely to have anything. The only time uh, that I, well, I did have teachers who really insisted on this Caribbean history. For instance, uh, by the end of like at 14, I knew the names of all the islands of the Caribbean uh, and things like that. But it wasn't any deep knowledge. And um, the only time that I really got to reflect on St. Martin history was actually when a friend of mine decided uh, for our, our last year of middle high school, so we were 15, uh, so troisième, she decided that we would do a Black History Month. 
And so she contacted the school, uh, the, 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 the head, headmaster of the school, and we organized something that would include, uh, well, she included something that would include uh, theater, dance, and uh, like information uh, panels, etc. And so we had to create all of that on history. And of course, we included uh, a St. Martin history, but we also had a mention of like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, et cetera. So really this idea of black history as often seen uh, well from the United States. And, um, but it was still very interesting, but that's where I got to learn uh, Panam because for the dance uh, section, we decided that we would do, we would show the African roots of uh, modern day dances. And so we went from Panam to uh, hip hop. And so that were like instances in which I learned about St. Martin history, uh, but also like by going to the, the museum of the French side. Uh, I think we did one field trip uh, to Fort Lewis. So like uh, Carla said, it's like the occasional field trip that you get. And um, maybe also, uh, I do remember for that for uh, one, uh, um, celebration of abolition of slavery. Uh, there was uh, something at Bellevue uh, on the, on the, the on, on where there's a, there used to be a baobab and there used to be uh, ruins of, of something, I can't remember what, but there was a huge manifestation that year and there was a lot to learn. And I really, I, I remember that this year, um, that year uh, there was a, like a bus that did the, 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 the whole island and each part, they would tell you what happened like on the island. So growing up, I did get to, I, I did get in touch with the history of St. Martin also because like I have books at home that talk about it. So I was in contact via this, by, via these events, but it was not, it was not through uh, school. Uh, I do want to mention that, uh, so the program is based at the national level, as I said, and I had a look at, uh, how uh, the history of the Caribbean is taught in this national program. And so I found a list, uh, like an inventory of where uh, the history of slavery and the history of uh, the slave trade are mentioned in uh, history. So we're talking about uh, the history of the Caribbean via uh, slavery, you know? But it was still very interesting because um, I noticed that the inventory mentioned, separated uh, the mentions that were done uh, in, uh, in mainland France and how it was considered in the overseas territories. And for, so in mainland France, sometimes they wrote things like, oh, uh, the teacher can uh, make a point about this thing. Uh, or they wrote, uh, okay, uh, the, in this chapter, the, 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 the teacher has to mention uh, the, the sugar uh, industry in Brazil or they had to mention uh, the abolition of slavery when they talk about 1848 and the, the, and the Republic. Uh, but, you know, and, and then for the overseas territories, they, uh, in the inventory, they write, okay, Guadeloupe, you have to mention this, this, this. Martinique, you have to mention this, this, this. Guyane, you have to mention this, this, this. No mention of St. Martin. Why is that? Uh, St. Martin falls under the Academy of Guadeloupe. But that also means that, uh, which is a, a subdivision of, of uh, a, a regional subdivision of how, how schools are. And so it means that uh, I, my guess is that today, uh, because this document is from 2019. So my guess is that today, 
um, in Saint Martin, uh, children know about the history of of the Caribbean, and they can guess that it also applies for Saint Martin. But unless the teacher really makes a point to include something specific about Saint Martin. Uh, they won't be able to do it because the program does not um, give them give them any legitimate material. So um, it's a uh, it's it's a shame. It, it is a shame that that is um, our reality. You know that Saint Martin is always a a um a footnote. You know it's like it's never it's never like the the subject. It's always a footnote. And even now, like looking for Saint Martin history is so hard to find online you know it's like there are very few papers that focus on only since martin and we have such a such a unique case that a lot of scholars are scared to even deal with st martin because it's just so unique like there's a lot of things that are happening here that don't happen anywhere else um you know with the whole dutch french just crazy mumbo jumbo um happening um i did want to say but, but then you also know the thing so, sorry, I just remembered something um, uh, about what you said. It, it's also because, um, you know, we said before that there's uh, this the legitimate sources of history. And so if there's no legitimate source of history about St. Martin, then there's no history of St. Martin, basically. Well, not in, in, in history classes, you know. Essentially. Um, and I think, you know, that that... <sighs> It's the case for history, it's the case for data, it's the case for almost anything. It's like, if your history is hidden within the history of another country, you know, which is honestly another curse of colonialism, right? It's like, if the history of Dutch St. Martin is hidden within the Netherlands, or if the history of French St. Martin is hidden behind Guadeloupe, then it's like, when you're trying to do something in the future, like, okay, I want to do a study on the data of this, 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 but you can never you know, um, take take apart that data from, you know, this other place, then it becomes impossible to, to know things about your own people. And it's a real, um, it's an academic issue, it's a social issue, it's just, it becomes a huge problem. Um, and I mean, I, in, in, in college, I wanted to do, you know, my thesis on, on something relating to St. Martin for my economics paper. Um, and there was just no data for it, you know, like there were no data sets that I was able to use. And so, Again, like, you know, me coming from the island wanting to contribute in that way through some sort of research, I wasn't able to do so. Um, I wanted to say that um, there were some field trips I went on <laughs> in primary school that I didn't mention. And after listening to Steffi and, and Carla, um, I didn't want to leave those out. So we, we, we went to all the landmarks. So all the landmarks on St. Martin, uh, we went to those. We went to, you know, the vineyard building, the border, the forts. Um, we went to um, this, this, I think it was like a sugar mill in Sakogaden, like in the middle of nowhere, Sakogaden, there's like a random sugar mill or something like that. Um, the bus like stopped there and they were like, yeah, this was a sugar mill. Um, <laughs> so we, we did go around the island in a bus um, and they did show us all the landmarks. Uh, so I did want to say that did happen in primary school. Shout out to Max School. Um, but I also wanted to, you know, reiterate what was said about, you know, it's like, it's not that the teachers don't want to teach St. Martin history, it's that the teachers don't know St. Martin history themselves, you know, it's like, you can't expect people it's not to give the material. Yeah, exactly. You can't expect people to teach something that they don't know, you know, like, so how are we equipping teachers with, with this, you know, St. Martin history syllabus that we're, we're asking them to do, you know, um, 
teachers are, are just, I'm a teacher, so I have strong opinions. Um, but teachers are, we're just people, you know, and believe me, my kids get the St. Martin history. <laughs> but we have a comment that says that local content curriculum was developed as St. Martin social science lesson plans and made available to the schools. I so think the primary level. So uh, this wasn't developed at the high school level. And it's like, for me, it's like, of course, like it's very useful to have social studies up until grade six, but basically past grade six, uh, you're told that you're not supposed to critically think about your identity uh, from that point onwards, you know, because then uh, I believe that from the laws and the education system, they have some con more control over what's in curriculums at the primary level on the Dutch side um, than when a school wants high school. And in high school, I believe legislation can mainly apply to MPC and Sundial, and then other schools obviously fall into other distinctions. There's just also, our education system is like a, a bit of a mess, right, for government to implement legislation like uniformly. Um, but for me, it's the issue of like, okay, great that you do it until grade six, and it's in the form of social studies. Uh, but then when we're becoming critical teenagers and thinking about who we are in comparison to the world, then the information that we get is that our history ended with slavery or that our history is that of Jamaica and wherever, which which I do want to say like at this point for, for learning Caribbean history is that there's also like, we also have to realize the imperialism in thinking that we need to learn history based on our nations and our countries. This is also an idea created in Europe, right? And, and um, the idea that uh, we take data based on state and government boundaries is also something that constantly reinforces the power of the nation state as the ultimate source of power in the international system. And I think that's really important to, to, to note that, I mean, if we really wanted to think about how we learn history and make it revolutionary, it's like, okay, why don't you learn about like uh, human history based on movements, but not borders, you know? Um, and if you were to really say like that, be able to connect people from where they moved and learn history that way, this would also break down boundaries and the fact that we also fight for um history in like a nationally border defined way is also ideas that we have to question and unearth why we take meaning from understanding ourselves in these ways of course there's purposes which i think is directly for my understanding tied to being the labor force of a country mm -hmm. um but we have to we have to unearth those things as well that's wow, mind blown. That's so so interesting. Um, I mean, it mean it, it makes sense for the person who lives in the middle of France, but for us who have so many like double triple identities, it's like we're not we cannot be connected by this national uh, tale. You know, that that doesn't fit who we are. The idea of separating Dutch side history from French side history, like <laughs> you know that possible. It's yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, but the history books will try to do it, honestly. And I mean, again with data, like the idea of you know, corona's happening and we have Dutch side cases and we have French side cases, as if they're you know, it's like why why does that make sense? Why does it make sense? I, I always love reading the French side um or not love, but I, I question when I read the French side uh, deaths for coronavirus, may they all rest in peace the amount of deaths and then one plus one resident of uh, like the Dutch side. 
right? And it's, yeah, why are we, I mean, it's exactly for this, because the state creates data to support itself. Um, and so if we understand data along state lines, then it's important to list something this way. But like Steffi just said, it doesn't define our reality here. It doesn't. I was, I was just thinking, um, I think it would probably be interesting if, if we get to review some of the coursework that students today are taught, go over it, you know, compare it to the research that we've done and so forth. Um, and also just to add, I saw, certain, I saw some comments in the live as well. Yes, we, we and the thing is we do have quite a number of books um, that that's, you know, about some art history and so forth. But I think the main issue is that it's not taught in schools. Um, and, that is, and that is what really blew my mind um, I remember when I used to just go to the library or to the museum, just sit and read all those books. I'm like, okay, you have books like Friendly Anger, National Symbols, um, Will Johnson's books, yeah, several, History of St. Martin, and, and so many other books, um, books from Jose Lake and so forth. And it's like, we weren't, not one of those books were introduced into the classroom. Nope. And so it's like, okay, we need to encourage more of us now, younger people to go out and document and write and so forth. But um, what support is provided to ensure that these books could be implemented within the curriculum, especially um, at a high school level? Yeah, it's, I mean, the thing is, that's, that's the crazy part. It's not that the information is not there. Like, people have done the work. <laughs> people have done the work. There are so many archives of St. Martin books online, you know? Like, last week we were talking about there's a St. Martin dictionary, for crying out loud, you know? Um, but they're just not, they're not in schools you know and it's like why is that the case and then we get into this whole thing of again back to nation building you know it's like we are not equipping our people with material about themselves and it's like why why is that the case like why is our own identity and elective and in some cases not even an elective because you can't choose it even if you wanted to so you know like like we are really disservicing ourselves by not teaching ourselves about ourselves. And I think to add to that, I, I think last month, I think August was Car the uh, Caribbean Authors Month. I, I'm not quite sure. I believe it was either August or July. Um, but for the students that are watching the show, um, I would definitely like ask yourself, like of the books that you read, of the books that you get in school, look up the name of the author and see what they look like you know do they look like you what story are they telling you know and it's not just to say that like you know you should only read stories from people that look like you but odds are in university when i got a syllabus not a single person on that syllabus was from even anywhere near where i'm from right um and so it's to just ask yourself to like open up the world to you because i think when you get all these books it and it's also what jonathan said with erasure uh, you start to kind of almost think like Caribbean authors and Caribbean historians don't exist, right? Because you have all these institutionalized book lists and syllabi and all this, and there's not a single Caribbean author or historian on it. So, you know, you, you sometimes, especially in at high school, like, are we really asking our high schoolers to spend their spare time, like, digging for these uh, uh, individuals? You know, it should, like, be part of their structure already. Um, but... You know, since it's not there or it might be there like in, in small things, just Google it all the time. I mean, amazing Caribbean authors are writing all kinds of histories and books. Um, I'm reading one now called The Taste of Sugar. And I mean, just start asking yourself because like 
all these things that we read shape the way that we understand ourselves and the world around us. And it just opens up so many more doors uh, when you start to see also the way that you speak reflected in the way that a book is written, right? Um, all these ways help to uh, just or, or solidify your grounding that, you know, most of the time when a lot of people get the opportunity to study away, um, you have like, you, you have more of like a solid feeling of, you know, you do come from a region that has its own renaissance and has its own authors and has its own truths and stories. And it just gives you so much more of something to stand on, which is something I felt like I didn't have when I went to university. And I used my university uh, education to search for that and to write about it. Uh, and I was lucky to have professors that were open to having me write about the Caribbean and research it through their courses of political theory of Europe, you know? Um, so, but you don't always get that chance. You don't always get that teacher that's open to it. And, and so that's where it becomes a structural problem. In, indeed, because um, for me overall, when I think about the history, I think about it as um, a way or a tool in which I see myself or which, uh, how people view themselves. You know, if your history forever downs you, um, tells you that you're insignificant, you haven't achieved much, um, then you, you would you know, automatically think like, would I be able to actually do anything in life? You know, even um, in, in, in television and in cartoons and so forth, when we see images of certain kinds of people accomplishing big things and creating, uh, creating or becoming innovative in certain fields and disciplines, it's like, you know, where is, where is me in this, um, in this sphere? And so um, I think that is why it's so critical because I always reference the moment I read The Black Jacobins by um, C.L.R. James, you know, on the Haitian Revolution. And I was like, you know, no one could ever, never tell me anything negative or Haiti ever again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's like, to have, to have a country accomplish such a great, such a, such a magnificent feat, you know, to um, have um, fought and won, you know, ma three major European um, colonies and, and, and um, armies, it's, it's such a significant thing, especially when, you know, you grew up thinking that, well, if you're associated with this nation, if, if you're a descendant of this nation, well, you know, you're, you're, you're subjected to poverty and, 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 you know, insignificance and so forth. And, and so I think it's really important, again, just for us here in St. Martin to understand that, um, you know, for us to teach of St. Martin history, it's for the St. Martin child to understand that he's not insignificant, that, you know, he has a story, there is he or she, you know, that there, there is something um, that was done that you could see yourself in, that you could replicate and even surpass. And so that is why it's so, so critical. And then a question I have, um, one of the questions, I guess, before we sign off was what is something that you learned and realized that it was not true? I think that's. I would, I would say that the classic, the classic is that uh, Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas. You know. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, like you know, the the whole putting Christopher Columbus on a pedestal. Like I feel like everybody in the Americas has been fed that lie. Like <laughs> it is crazy. Um, but to add to that, I mean, my my um thing was you know the whole Dutch French you know, Dutchmen, Frenchmen, one drink wine, one drink beer, like how St. Martin was divided. Like no one ever told me the truth. Like, I mean, I knew that story wasn't exactly true, but like 
I didn't know how Samaritan was divided. Like, I didn't know how the Dutch side became the Dutch side and how the French side, you know, like, and if you want to know, we talked about it in our last episode. Was it our last episode? Two episodes ago. Yeah, second episode. Second episode. Borders. Second episode. Your favorite. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, that that nonsense is just, like, <laughs> in every, you know, it's like, oh, like, how did the French side become that size? How did that side become that side? Oh, yeah, you know, there's a Frenchman, there's a Dutchman. Like, that. I literally learned that in school. Like, I didn't learn that anywhere else. I learned that in school. Um, so I would say that's one thing that's... I learned was false. Um, and then, you know, in talking about um, emancipation, um, nobody ever said that the French side and the Dutch side were emancipated at different times. Like, <laughs> we talk about emancipation as if it's something that just happened. Like, oh, yeah, then there was emancipation. And then, you know, like, afterwards, it's just like, oh, but emancipation for who? When? And then, you know, like, um, in teaching, so I, I did learn the panam in school as well, and like everyone's like, oh yeah, after emancipation, like everybody just started dancing the panam, and now the question is like, emancipation of the French side or emancipation of the Dutch side? Like, where where did the panam happen? <laughs> you know, like which emancipation did this come out of? Um, so we need answers, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but all this stuff that like they just say in school, and then afterwards you're thinking, you're like, wait a second, like something something's missing there's a piece that's missing what is that missing piece um and there's yeah i just feel like st martin history that's that's why this show is important for me because i feel like i'm getting to answer a lot of the questions that were that i don't know i wasn't able to answer growing up um i think one um one thing that i think like also um, always underpinned um, the notion of the enslaved within history books that I received it was always the idea that uh, the enslaved were uneducated and unskilled workers. Um, and when I was able to take certain social history classes um, and obviously learn about the fact that you know these are these are people who were stolen from tribes who, who were engineers and architects of their own uh, communities. And, you know, uh, just understanding that already kind of revealed extremely like the bias of history and like the ideas of how we come to understand ourselves, right? Because that, that one lie of the enslaved being uneducated and unskilled led to so much understandings of who, who we became, right? And, and how, that ended up uh, supporting certain hierarchies and understandings of people. Um, I think it, it, it's, it seems so simple, right? But that just completely opened um, the door to realizing the way in which history is used as a tool of power. Um, so that, that was a big one for me. Um, mine would be two things. First one being that black people can't work together. Second one, um, that we just decided we're gonna turn on each other and sell each other into slavery. And I think um, that last narrative is so critical because it's, again, it's like, who's telling you you sold, you sold yourself into slavery? Um, yes, Africans uh, captured other Africans, but they tend to um, neglect the context, the intended, the manipulation used, and even just um, how, for example, um, Basically, you know, Europeans, like the Europeans are Portuguese primarily when, when they first started, um, 
would ravage this, you know, one African tribe or village and force them to capture, you know, other African people to sell them into slavery. And also the fact that they did not know, you know, what would have been across the seas. And so I think that that statement particularly, which has some truth to it, but is not told in a truthful way, is one thing that really I was really glad to learn, you know, the, um, the, the depth of slavery itself and, and, and the slave trade. And I think adding to what Ralph just said, I mean, it's it's so tied to our understanding of the current world order, right? Because if you think of the enslaved uh, and that Africans sold Africans, we're starting to act as if other regions in the world also did not enslave people and sell people to each other, you know? But it's just that this um, particular uh, sale of people led to like a, or undergirded like a huge, um, uh, uh, understanding of imperial power and exercise that led to how we are today but when you read I feel like uh, in history it's also like we don't give enough like when you read about the enslaved that they had in Europe like outside Roman cities it's like oh we go over that so quickly so quickly right because it doesn't give meaning to the current social uh, understanding and so um, yeah it's also I think like um, helps to, or not helps, but uh, uh, is another thing that is not discussed when people say, oh yeah, but you guys sold each other. True, because I was so blown away when I found out that slavery actually first started with Europeans and slaving other Europeans. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I, I think there's a connection that has to be made between um, uh, the transatlantic uh, slave trade and capitalism, because like it's mm -hmm. the beginning, like it's the, how do you call that the blueprint of uh, of exploitation and learning that if you like the experience of exploiting uh, people and land uh, to have cheap goods you know and if we acknowledge that then we have to basically destroy the system so it's a problem you know <laughs> so <laughs> There's no way back if, if you say that that uh, what we're doing is rooted in, in, in slavery and in exploitation of other people currently in Asia, for instance, you know. So there's a way that history is taught to entertain, uh, to entertain a, a cognitive dissonance that we have that says that uh, to have what we have, we have to do what we do and not to question the, the moral implications of, of our existence, you know. Uh, and with that, I mean, we'll close off. That was that was our episode on history and what we're taught. Um, I just wanted to mention that uh, recently, this week actually, uh, history was made in Saint Martin. So let's already have conversation on the ways in which we are going to remember this historical event that took place uh, this week. Gang, gang. And, and, and congratulations, big up to, you know, Simon people for coming out and making history again. Because, uh, yeah, that was a powerful moment um, two days ago. Um, and definitely we should not allow anybody to dare, um, you know, influence and negatively impact our way of living, our culture, our heritage. Uh, we have to stand up and be willing to fight for what is ours. Because too long 
so much has been taken from us. So congrats to, you know, to us as MR people making history. Yeah, and congrats to all the folks who documented that history, you know, like there are so many St. Martin artists, like videographers and photographers and journalists who who went to the event and documented it. And, you know, like St. Martin people telling St. Martin stories is so powerful, you know? With dignity. With dignity. Um, just beautiful shots, beautiful images, beautiful words. Um, so that that's what it's all about, you know? Like, we need to tell our own story. We need to show up for ourselves. Um, yeah, and it just, it makes me excited. There is so much um, momentum in the air. Um, and yeah, you know, just power, power to the people. Yes, and be aware that what we're being doing is not being objective. We're being subjective, and we're like we're owning our, our subjectivity, like you know. And I think it, it was definitely like a great moment to be there with the whole crew and teaming Steffi in from from abroad in France. Steffi was um, answering. But it, it really, you know, and all the discussions that we've have been having and then being there. I think um, it's also about seeing, okay, we had this like great moment of togetherness, um, but let's make sure that we're also fighting for one island, one people and the other things that we do, right? So it's what St. Martin do we want to live in and like what story uh, do we want to keep like saying is ours? Um, and it, it was very powerful and an inclusive moment. Um, and it's just how do we keep carrying that in our daily activities and the work that we do and the stories that we share of our community and our island. Um, so it's just for people to be, you know, uh, or, or to realize that, of course, this was like one big moment of coming together. Um, but it's also your small acts that help like in, in carrying forward uh, these identities. True. Very true. Um, and keep an eye out for that joint Congress between Dutch side and French side. That's, yep. that's a game changer, y'all. That is a game changer right there. Keep an eye out for that. Let's hold our representatives accountable. Let's make sure that this thing actually happens and they don't drag yeah. their feet. Because if we had that, this whole thing could have been avoided. You know? Uh, so definitely, definitely keep your eyes peeled. And look out for our next exciting episode. On yes, and, and also, also please, like as a personal conclusion, I would just like to also encourage everyone to write their pers personal story because it will reflect in how we we tell history. True. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph is going to say the next episode is on Calypso. I know that's what he was going to say. Uh, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks yes thank you for tuning in bye thank you everyone thank you for tuning in to this episode of Melee have some comments you can write to us at MeleeSXM at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at MeleeSXM see you for our next episode of Melee and in the meantime stay curious